Oklahoma and Texas are going to the SEC. And the only question that remains now is, when will we see those schools playing an SEC football schedule? Sure, the Big 12 is trying to stop the Sooners and Longhorns from bolting, but the conference's efforts are futile. One report stated that Oklahoma and Texas have been in serious discussions with the SEC for at least six months. On Monday, both schools formally told the Big 12 that they're out. But the language in the statement was very precise. The current Big 12 media deal runs until the summer of 2025. So OU and Texas's message to the Big 12 was that we will not be renewing those media rights following the expiration of the current deal in 2025. Then on Tuesday, OU and Texas sent an official letter to the SEC saying, hey guys, we'd love to join you in 2025. Now, as much as we'd all like Oklahoma and Texas to just come out and simply say, hey, Big 12, 2021 is going to be super fun, but we're out after this year. Hello, SEC. That's just not an option right now. I'm not a lawyer, but something tells me the tepid language is a legal strategy. How can it not be? Now, behind the scenes, OU and Texas lawyers have to be working through a way to get both schools out of the Big 12 after this season and into the SEC by 2022. How could this not be happening? At least according to multiple reports, this is an option. It's just that it would cost both Oklahoma and Texas about 80 million bucks to buy out of the contract with the Big 12. Now, in a perfect world, OU and Texas will be preparing for their first SEC schedule by this time next summer. Stay tuned. I have a feeling we'll know more about the timeline by the end of this week or by next week. The biggest story in college football came absolutely out of nowhere last week, and Grant and I will talk all about it on today's show. But before we do that, I want to make a point that I've heard nobody else make since the news broke that OU and Texas were trying to enter the SEC last week. Whenever the Sooners start playing football in the SEC, again, hopefully it's fall of 2022, no matter Oklahoma's preseason ranking, the Sooners will be going into a college football season feeling like underdogs. That hasn't happened very many times since Bob Stoops took over the program all the way back in 1999. There's no debating that the SEC is the best football conference in the country. Sure, I get it. However, it's a conference that has largely been propped up by four or five teams every year. Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Florida, and depending on the season, Auburn or Texas A&M. Behind those four to five schools each season is a bunch of average to below average to sometimes bad football teams. Don't get me wrong, the Big 12 has been Oklahoma and then maybe Oklahoma State or TCU or Iowa State of late, and then a bunch of meh for the last 10 years. So I'm not making a case that the Big 12 is better. I'm making the case that the SEC is the best, but... It's not a conference full of incredible teams from top to bottom like some people seem to believe. That confidence, that arrogance of some SEC programs will be known and understood by Oklahoma and Texas. Both of those schools will have a chip on their shoulders when they enter the league. And from an Oklahoma perspective, that's pretty cool. For the first time since the 2000s, Oklahoma is building and building into a legitimate national championship contending program, meaning the Sooners are actually good at offense and defense. This is a perfect time for Oklahoma to enter the SEC, which is another reason why I hope this happens by next season. 
Recruiting has been really, really good for the Sooners of late, and it's logical to assume it will only get better in the SEC. Sure, Alex Grinch may be out the door here pretty soon, which is a bummer, but I don't think Lincoln Riley is going anywhere anytime in the near future. As OU continues to build up its talent and its depth, the thought of the Sooners entering the SEC with this type of talent on both sides of the football, with the feeling of being underdogs in a new conference, gets me pretty excited. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. All right, let's do this. The biggest story in college football in perhaps a decade jumped on us out of nowhere last week, and it's finally time to talk about it on the podcast. So no wasting any time today. Let's welcome in Grant back from Las Vegas after making millions and millions and millions of dollars. Which I had to give back very shortly after that at a different casino about 300 miles up north from there. I also got a, I, I got a speeding ticket on the way back. Did I tell you that? No. I was re- I was really hot drove? about it. I was really hot about it for a couple days too. Yeah, I ended up driving because I was like I was sick. I was concerned. Like I I'd started to hack up a lung like every 30 seconds. And um my flight got delayed and delayed and delayed. Um and so like I wasn't Ugh. supposed to get into Lake Tahoe until like 8 p.m. And so by that time I was just like screw that. I'm just going to drive. It's supposed to be a really pretty drive. So Oh yeah, so yeah, so so Grant, I think you briefly mentioned it last podcast. So you you went to Vegas, and then you went to Lake Tahoe. You did the you did the very rare Vegas Lake Tahoe bang bang, that uh, is you know, pe- people rarely survive that. So it's good to see that you're you're alive and kicking. I survived. To talk some college. I had to go to Lake Tahoe for a bachelor party after Vegas. So I mean, it <laughs> yeah, was not just yeah, it wasn't just uh, Lake Tahoe, just scenic. Like let's 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 go and hang out and get the views no like play golf it was like let's do a bachelor party after las vegas i will say though that was the first bachelor party i've been to where everybody was over the age of 30 and it showed it was it was not quite as rowdy (laughs) it was not quite as rowdy as it would have been about Uh, five or six years ago okay yeah Uh, man that's uh that's kind of sad it's very sad and uh but I, i will say I'm pretty ex- proud of myself about my uh, performance in Las Vegas. Uh, it's just uh, walking around, the sun's out. It, it was like 108 degrees. Didn't even feel that bad. Felt great to me. It, the, the dry heat is real thing. Like living in Oklahoma, I immediately got back and it was like in the 90s. And it was like, ugh, this is so gross. 108 in Vegas wasn't that bad. But I was thinking, is it because the mentality when you're in Las Vegas is that you're there there's no worries in the world. You're not wearing very many clothes. You have a drink in your hand. That, that probably factors in quite a bit as well as why the heat doesn't really affect you as much. What, what, would, what would you think? Well, I think uh, I, I sort of agree with you. I've been to Vegas quite a bit more than you have. It, it depends. It depends on the day, sort of what happens during that day. I don't know. The entire time I was kind of sick, and so the heat was sort of affecting me. It was draining me. But no, I've definitely yeah. had Vegas trips where... It's just, I mean, yeah, it's been like 110, and I barely even think about it. All right, you know, I just realized that I broke one of the cardinal rules of this podcast. I got off, off a random topic about our lives that, let's be real, nobody cares about. People want to hear us talk about college football. So Lee, if, I, I feel like a moron. While we were in Vegas a couple weeks ago, if I would have come up to you and said, hey, in a few days there's going to kind of be some smoke around OU and Texas going to the SEC, and it's actually going to happen. What odds would you, what would you have given me there to bring it back to uh, on topic? Um, if you were like just you, you just 
you just kind of been hearing through your sources that this was a thing that that was uh, you know kind of simmering, kind of kind of kind of bubbling up on the surface. I'd probably think um, I I'd, I'd say I I can see that I can see that uh, you're talking like in the next five or ten years though, right? I mean that's going to be happening. I mean sure, I mean like contracts and whatnot, and I mean it, it can't just you can't just drop a hat and then have Oklahoma and Texas in the SEC. But yeah, I can see that happening down the line. That's kind of what I would think. And I'd say the odds of it happening in general were pretty good. But the odds of it happening by next year, I'd say would be like nothing. Like that doesn't make any sense. There's no reports. There's no information on there of like that's not going to happen. That's what I would initially have said a couple weeks ago. So if I were to say on that Friday that I left Vegas, in five days some news is going to start trickling out that OU (laughs) and Texas are going to go to the SEC and there are legs to it, and within a week, all of that's going to be confirmed and done. I, I, I just went out and said, that's going to happen. <laughs> you would have thought I was crazy. Yeah, it, and, and we're seeing that uh, as we record on Tuesday. Tuesday evening, you know, a couple people bring it up. You know, like the, I mentioned in the opening take about how today Oklahoma and Texas sent that letter to the SEC saying, hey, guys, uh, we'd love to join you. And uh, some people have pointed out, like, imagine if this hadn't have come out last week and this was the first we were hearing about this. It would just be insane. It would be the I mean, it it already was insane what was coming out when it was leaking, leaking, leaking out. By the way, got to give props to an old colleague of mine, Brent Zorneman of the Houston Chronicle. I know Brent. We worked together in College Station when I was there covering Texas A&M. He's an awesome dude. Played college baseball. He's a college baseball guy. And uh, he, he knows a lot of people covering Texas A&M. He broke the initial story. And so I said this on News 9 a couple of days ago. When I saw that he was the person that broke it, and I texted you too, Grant, uh, and also he was talking very confidently at SEC Media Days. Like, I, I know Brent. He's a great reporter. I trust the guy. He's not just going to run with something if, if there's no legs to it. And here we are, not even a week later, and it's basically a done deal at this point. So congrats to Brent for breaking the biggest college football story in a decade. That was awesome. Yeah, I was about, so when the, when the original Houston Chronicle story dropped, um, and of course it dropped on Twitter just like everything else, um, I, I was probably about three hours late. So I actually saw this story like on the Twitter trends page and I saw it and I was like, wait, what? And so I took the tweet <laughs> and, I, and I copied it and I, I sent it to you in a text. And then like 10 minutes later you said, uh, he's like, yeah, I got a source that's saying it's almost a done deal. And I was just like, wait, what? I, I said, really? Well, <laughs> and to be clear, the the sore, I mean, I was referencing Brent because I trust Brent. And if he's saying that his super great source is legitimate, then I'm going to trust the guy. And here we are. I mean, he was right on the money. So, OK, so you, you were a little bit behind the times. Let's get into this the thoughts of this whole thing. I mean, I, I, we'll get into what I said in my opening take here in a moment, but a way to get the ball rolling a little bit more is, so you found that out and you were like, what, what's going on? What were your initial thoughts about the entire thing? A shock. I was shocked. Um, and so, yeah, like you're, you're right. Like if somebody would have come up to me and said, yeah, I mean, in the year 2030, OU is going to start playing in the SEC. That wouldn't shock me. I'd be like, you know, that, that kind of makes sense. In nine years, they'll be in the SEC. Yeah. That's kind of, I feel like that's kind of where college football is going. I was shocked. I I thought it was kind of a joke. I thought I I I figured it didn't have any legs. I figured it was just kind of off-season fodder. Um and then yeah, you start reading things, you start kind of going more on the insider message board, talk to you, and then you realize and it's just like holy crap, is this happening? 
and I think I, I think the thing that shocked everyone, and it's still shocking everyone, is just how quickly it's it's coming. And so, like, you bring up one of the questions I have. Like, you bring up like, what if we never, if we wouldn't have found out about this two weeks ago or last week, um, and it's, this just would have dropped today. Them them asking the SEC to you know to join the conference, like, what sort of firestorm that would have set off? My question is. <laughs> Does it happen today if that story doesn't leak last week? Does this happen near the end of the season and not right now? That's a good question. I want to say that I saw, and there's been so many college football writers that have reported on this now since it got out, so I'm going to probably not be able to cite certain people. And we've all read stuff. We've all heard the rumors. We've all, from, and, and from reputable reporters, but I want to say I saw somebody report that the plan was for the Big 12 or for OU in Texas to on this past Monday, so a day ago as we record this, to send that letter to the Big 12 saying, hey, we're not going to renew. Like, that was the plan, and it all got out from Brent's story. So, you know, somebody leaked it, you know, earlier. So I, I do think that that was the plan. I think it was going to happen. It's just I mean, kudos to the Big 12, I, and not the Big 12, to OU in Texas, I guess, because I think it was uh, – Chip Brown or no, maybe it was the Austin American Statesman, one of, one of those newspapers that originally reported that OU in Texas had been in serious discussions for six months, at least six months. And the question is, OK, keeping that under wraps for that long, it had to have been a very small number of people. I mean, what are we talking here? The maybe Del Conte, Castiglione, maybe the presidents of the university and Greg Sankey. I mean, are we talking about like five people, maybe because Lincoln Riley a, a certainly knew. Okay, Lincoln, yes, Lincoln Riley, Lincoln Riley yeah, okay. definitely knew. And so did Steve sure. Sarkeesian probably when they hired him. Pro yeah, probably. Okay, so yeah, because that would have happened back in January. So maybe that would, So yeah, so maybe we're talking here at most six. I mean, I, I would be shocked if 10 people knew about this because you get more and more people. We're all human beings. Stuff leaks out. This comes out in March. This comes out. I mean, so they were able to keep it pretty tight-lipped until whoever Brent sources, Brent Zorderman sources, was able to get it. And uh, Brent told Paul, Paul Feinbaum that this is a source that Brent has used for decades, and he's, he's always been on top of it. And here it is, another one. I mean, he, so I, I just kind of found that part interesting, that they were able to keep it under wraps for that long. And so I, I, I do think, at least according to one report I think I saw, this was the plan to come out. If they were able to keep it under wraps, and all of a sudden uh, – Oklahoma and Texas just announced yesterday on Monday. Oh, hey, by the way, we uh, just told the Big Twelve we don't want, <laughs> we're not going to renew in twenty twenty five. That would have been, I mean, just as as crazy as everybody reacted to, to Brent's story on last Wednesday. But it would have been probably even more because that was officially from OU in Texas. It wasn't just here's a report. Uh, and then obviously today on Tuesday, the twenty seventh, petitioning or sending the letter to the SEC. Then that would have it, it would have kept going. What are we going to get on Wednesday? I think I've seen reports today that on Thursday, I think the SEC is going to meet and talk about it. So, and presumably vote. Right, and and part of what Brent was saying is that we could get a resolution in one to two weeks, and this was last week. And so so far, his timeline has been spot on, and he said this is going to happen. This is going to be the first sixteen team super conference in college football. And and again, and I'm I'm going to keep saying great job by him because again cause I, I know the guy I, I know him and so I, I feel comfortable pop you know propping up a guy that I know if I didn't know him as much maybe I wouldn't say as much but maybe I would because this is a huge story and you got to give credit to people that are able to break these stories so that's that's part of the business but uh 
I, like I said in the opening take, by this week or maybe by next week, I think the timeline answers I'm hoping, I don't know if we're going to get it fully because if there's all this legal stuff behind the scenes to figure out how they're going to potentially buy out of the Big 12, I'm not sure if that's going to be settled, but maybe it will be. I, I don't know. That would be awesome. And, I, and, and now I'm kind of starting to get into the weeds a little bit, but yeah, go ahead. I think you wanted to add something. No, I was going to say... I. If- I would guess, I think it's going to be done by the end of this week. And, okay, done is not the right word. Uh, like, obviously, there's going to be a ton of stuff, like, behind the scenes once the SEC officially accepts Oklahoma. I guess, I, I think by the end of the week, SEC, the SEC will officially accept Oklahoma. I think that is going to happen. And then it's probably going to be a long, drawn-out process, probably over the course of the entire season, about whether or not, you know, it's going to be because, you know, in the in, in the letter to the SEC, they said, you know, 2025. I think we all think that's that's not going to happen. They have to say that for legal reasons. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that stuff with the lawyers and the negotiation and all that, that'll probably take some time. Um, but, I yeah, I, 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 I gun to my head. I do think by the end of this this week, OU is officially going to be a member of the SEC in the future. Yeah, and I think that's a fair that's a fair take, and I, and I tend to agree with you. Uh, and again, the, the question remains that everyone wants to know is when. And we've had plenty of reports on it, talked about it a little bit in the opening take. We've touched on it a little bit already. It's, we all hope that it's going to be next season. And I, according to multiple reports, that's a possibility. It's hard to believe that Oklahoma and Texas would just be like, all right, yeah, cool, we're going to just play in this conference for the next 2022, 2023, 2023, next three seasons after this season, knowing that they're lame duck, for lack of a better term, conference members, that doesn't make any sense. And sure, the Big 12, best case scenario for them is that that's what happens because then it gives all the other teams and schools time to figure out what their next play is and gives the Big 12 more time to potentially add new schools post-2025. But I'm sorry, this is a, it's a cutthroat world. The Oklahoma and Texas does not care about the Big 12. It, it, it's, you have to look out for yourself, which is obviously what's happening here. And when you're, well, for Oklahoma's sake, you've owned the Big 12 for the last 20 years, roughly. Uh, you're in a pretty good position to dictate to other people what you're going to do. And then there's Texas, who's the other brand in this conference, who's, in my opinion, been irrelevant for the last 10 years, but it's still a brand. It's still Texas, so they have a little bit of a uh, little bit of, you know, I, I, I guess, credibility, and, and they, they have money, and so they can obviously be a part of it too, but everybody else in the, in the Big 12, sorry, you, you, you just, you, it's, it's just, that's the way it is, <laughs> you know, like, that's just the way it is, and now it's up to you all individually to figure it out, and that's where we are, and again, we're kind of getting into the weeds a little bit here, but um, that's kind of the way it is. We can talk a little bit later about the Big Twelve and the other schools if, if we if we want. Yeah, yeah. Let's let, let's talk about that later. Um, just because I, I I do think there are some pretty good layers with that. The Big Twelve schools right now have every right to be upset about this. Every right to be upset about it. Uh, but we can get into that later. Um, I, I guess right now, gun to my head, there's no way they're not playing in the SEC in 2022. That this it doesn't go down like this if that's not what their intention is. Um, and like I, people talk about the money and how big the buyouts will be. I can assure you that in this instance, money is not an issue whatsoever. If ESPN and the SEC wants this to happen for 2022, it's going to happen period. And I, and I like, I, and so I don't have any inside information. This is just a, 
to me, this is reading the tea leaves and just accepting reality. They're playing football in the SEC in 2022. Like, I, I don't, I don't see, I just can't envision any sort of scenario. The things that have gone down the last six days and OU playing two lame duck seasons in the Big 12 or three, that's not happening. We're all human beings. There's no way that happens. Because there, there's going to yeah, be no, hurt feelings. There's going to be, I can assure you right now, the other Big 12 institutions don't want to work with Oklahoma. They're pissed, I'm sure. Um, and yeah, I mean, this is this is going to make life on them really hard. Uh, but... There, this is this has happened in 2022. I, I there's that was my feeling when I went on Wednesday when this stuff first leaked out. I was like, there's no way that it's going to be four years until this happens. This is happening now, and it is. And and to, to further bolster your point, and I think I agree with you. I'm not as confident yet because just because I'm I'm just kind of, I guess it's the journalist side of me of like, ah, you know, what if here and there? I don't know. And and because I'm I'm still like I'm out of the loop. I don't have any I can't like text Bob Bullsby and be like, hey, like where's the or I can't text Lincoln Ryan, you know, whatever. You guys all know that stuff. But I, I gen, generally I, I agree with your take. I think it's a it's you're probably right about that. And what I was gonna say is going back to Brent, Brent Zorneman, at SEC Media Days, multiple times he referenced when Tex Saint in Missouri left the Big Twelve and went to the SEC. And he said that when the initial reports broke about how, yes, it, they want to go, it happened really fast after that. Things just sped up, and it happened really fast. And I was curious. I went back and looked. All right, so when did the announcement come that A&M and Missouri wanted to be in the SEC, and then when did they start playing football in the SEC? And it was, it was simply the official announcement came down, I believe, in 2011. For A&M, it was the summer of 2011. For Missouri, it was like, in the fall it was something like in september or october of the same year of 2011 and then both schools were playing sec football schedules the next year in 2012 and based off of that do the math i mean it's 2021 it's been it's well it's, it's likely to be officially announced that they're going to the sec that they want to play in the sec grant thinks by the end of this week i think by the end of this week maybe by next week do the math, then boom, the next season, it would line up with Missouri and Texas A&M. They're playing an SEC football schedule. So if you want to just use the, the most recent example in history of conference realignment, it happened really quickly. It happened within a year. And so I, I, I think that your thoughts are, are probably pretty sharp. I, I think you, get, you, you have history, even though it's one instance, and there could be more instances that I'm just not familiar with that happened in conference realignment years and years and years ago. But at least that particular instance – you have history on your side, so that's interesting. Just from a human standpoint, from a pride standpoint, I just can't imagine the other Big 12 schools will tolerate OU and Texas being in the league more than this this season, just from an emotional standpoint. It's just not... I, that's And also, I'm sure OU and Texas want to move on, too. They don't want to be here for another four years. Obviously. They, obviously, they want to move on. So, um, I don't know, man. Do you want to get into it? Because, like, I... I'm how can you not? I mean, I this is this has been this has been one of the most entertaining sports stories of my lifetime in these last 6 days. Um I'm fired up. Of course I you know, I have I I I do have some thoughts. I think there are some negatives to this potentially. Uh but as a competitor, how can you not be just totally fired up right now? Um that's that's the thing that I'm that that's the thing I'm most excited about um is just we can, you know, 
we can fight it all we want, but the SEC is is obviously the best college football conference. We've been very outspoken about this on you know on this on about that on this podcast. And o, OU belongs there. OU's football team and their brand belongs there with with, with you know in the best conference for football. And so I, I just I'm so excited uh, to see the you know the history and tradition of OU, the history of success at OU with SEC resources. I'm extremely excited for that. I do think this this move, of course, there there are some potential issues with the move, but that's not it's they're they're not automatic at all. I think the biggest pro of this move for OU is that I do think this raises the ceiling of their program to the point where they can max out the program. And I don't think we have ever seen OU's program maxed out ever. I, I don't think that's ever happened. Um I think I think they have a much greater potential for that happening now, and I think that is the number one reason why they are doing this. And of course, money is money is a big deal too. Um, but maxing out your football program, you know, what comes after that, right? A boatload yeah, of money. Hand hand. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. I'm I'm excited as well. You know me, I I, you know, I don't get super excited really about anything, but just the idea. I, you said it well. It, this is a good thing for Oklahoma because the big narrative over however many years is always like, yeah, the recruiting is usually pretty good. It's definitely been a lot better of late, but they seem to be missing on potential talent from the South and the SEC schools seem to get it, whether it's just, it's, it's, I guess it's just a close to home thing or, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not a recruiting expert, but for whatever reason there, you know, you look at, plenty of different schools like the Bamas, the LSUs, the Georgias, the Floridas, and even Texas A&M in, in Texas. I mean, they're getting great recruiting classes and they have more access to these, these athletes in that part of the region. And what kind of athletes are they? They're that, that Oklahoma has been missing out on a lot over the last 10 years or so, Grant. On what side of the football? The defensive side of the football, right? The big hog volleys up front. Uh, and and now, obviously, Alex Grinch has figured out, not figured out, his, his philosophy with defensive backs has changed drastically from the Mike Stoops era. And, and even without being in the SEC, they're already starting to recruit big, time, you know, big, long defensive backs, which, in theory, you can get even more of those if you can recruit the SEC a lot more. And so that's what I'm, I'm mostly excited about is, again, not a big recruiting guy, but I understand that recruiting is the lifeblood of every single program. That's how you, be, that's how you get really good. I just The, the nitty-gritty of it's never really interested me as, as much as it interests other people. Fine. Going to the SEC, I think you said it well. It gives Oklahoma a chance to maximize their program because they can get a lot. They, they have access to these players. In theory, they didn't have access to before. And I can talk about this here in a little bit, but you look at the, the SEC, just the number of players that gets drafted in the SEC. That's, that, that's a big thing, right? You go to a lot of these SEC schools because players want to play in the NFL. And for the fifth, and they want to play against year, other guys who are going to play in the NFL because then scouts see them, and then that's you know they yeah. look good by comparison, and they go to the NFL. That's I mean that's the SEC and the NFL are intertwined. That's why kids are going to the yeah. SEC. I mean, and, and region is a big part of it as well. But um, like this is the biggest the biggest thing here from a competitive football standpoint. The reason why this is a great move for OU is because just like that, with a snap of the finger their biggest demerit in recruiting that teams use against them all the time, and it works, is gone. In a poof, just like that. It's gone. And I, I would love to see 
what Oklahoma can do with that gone. Um, I, you know, they, oh, you had the number one class in the country in 2004 with Adrian Peterson and Rhett Bomar and all of that stuff. I think in today's current college football landscape, it's not possible for OU to have the number one class in the country in the Big 12. It's possible in the SEC. OU will have a number one recruiting class in the country when they are in the SEC. That is going to happen. It's not, it's not probably not going to happen as much as it's happened with Alabama and, and Georgia recently. Oh, no, yeah. Um, but it's it's going to happen. They are going to get guys that they otherwise would not have gotten. This is... This is this is what happened to Texas A and M. It's not that hard. We have we have very very uh, recent history to suggest this. This has obviously been a great move for Texas A and M. And I I think and Texas A and M has been a thorn in OU side in recruiting, and it's been just because of the patch on their jersey. Yeah, you're Remo- exactly right. I was gonna say, yeah, I was gonna say A and M is the perfect example because we all know about Texas A and M. Uh, they're Time in the Big 12, they were just kind of there. I mean, they had some good seasons. They had some not-so-good seasons, whatever. They go to the SEC, immediately were relevant with Johnny Manziel. Immediately had the their best year. team in program history. <laughs> immediately, which, and, and I, we could talk, I, I've always kind of found that interesting because that was the time when I wasn't as dialed in in college football as I am now. And maybe, let's, let's do a, a, a quick little aside here because I'm curious about this. I'm not sure if we've ever talked about this on this podcast. And I remember thinking about this when I covered A&M. Immediately, they had the best team they've maybe ever had, but yet the first year they were in the SEC. What happens that season if, if, if A&M is still in the Big 12? Does A&M potentially win the Big 12 and have a yes. shot to win the national championship? A&M probably plays Alabama in the national championship. Okay, so and you were following college football a lot closer than I was back then. I've always kind of thought that the irony of, oh, I'm of sorry, A&M no. going to the Big A&M 12. A&M would have played Notre Dame in the national championship. Oh, so that's kind of the funny irony of A&M. It's like, yes, it's, it's been a good move for them overall. Sure, their, their recruiting has been great. They've got a lot more money. Even though money's never been an issue at Texas A&M, from what I understand, they have so much money there. But the recruiting class has been good. But the, the first year where if they were still in the Big 12, it actually might have been better for them as far as winning titles and stuff. But anyways, that's the that's side. What I was going to say is you brought up A&M. We all can agree, right? The last, let's say the last three recruiting cycles for Oklahoma have been, they've been really good, right? I mean, maybe even three or four. I don't know. I went back and looked. So in, in 2019, OU had the number six class. This is, a, I think this is a 24-7 composite rankings. OU was the number six class in 2019. And the last two years in 2020 and 2021, in 2020, they were 12. And then in 2021, they were ranked 10. So fringe top 10 type classes. And then 2019, number six. Point being, though, those three seasons, those three years, Texas A&M has had better recruiting classes than Oklahoma every single year. And how much of that is them just being in the SEC? It's got to be a lot because Oklahoma's winning a lot more than Texas A&M. Oklahoma's putting more people in the NFL than Texas A&M of late. Yet A&M's recruiting classes and the rankings, they have been above Oklahoma the last three seasons. That's got to change one would think right immediately once Oklahoma enters the SEC maybe it won't but I think it's fair to to assume that Oklahoma should all of a sudden jump A&M in the recruiting rankings just based off of winning and then now being in that same conference I mean we'll see maybe it won't happen right away but that's a good point you made about A&M though they have utilized it and they've They've recruited very well with Kevin Sumlin and obviously with Jimbo Fisher now. And and I, let's not forget also in Missouri's second season in the SEC, they played in the SEC title game too. 
Well, they played in multiple SEC title games, I think. I think they played in the SEC title game like two or three of the first three or four years they were in the they were in the well, I know they lost to they lost to Auburn in twenty thirteen, that Auburn team that lost to Florida State in the national title. That's who they lost to in the SEC. I, I'm not sure if they've played another one. I think that's the only title game they've been in. I'm not I'm not one hundred percent sure about that. Um okay. but no, I mean I you you bring up a good point. Wait, say that again. The which Missouri game? Do you remember? 2013 is the year that Missouri was in the SEC title game against Auburn. Okay, so yeah, yeah. The next year they got they got spanked by Bama in the title. Oh, game. so they they played in it two straight years. They won the East two straight so, years. Yeah. with with Big yeah, Twelve recruits. Awesome, cool. Yeah, that's what. Like, so like, it's it's interesting about it is both both A and M and Missouri had some kind of immediate success in the SEC, which I I remember we talked about that a lot of the time. My, my whole theory was. Well, I mean, the different style of offenses. I mean, SEC wasn't, wasn't you know, spread out like they are now. And obviously now, over time, Missouri is kind of just Missouri. And Johnny A&M Manziel changed Fisher that is, conference. Yeah, yeah. And so that was, was kind of fun about it. It's like, yeah, listen, like the Big 12, yeah, they get laughed at. But the offenses were more advanced in that conference. And it was tougher to play defense. And for a couple of seasons, at least, you know, A&M, the SEC was kind of behind, but obviously Alabama and, and Auburn and those teams, they, they won out. That's what they do. And over time, the, it's regressed back to the mean. And now with Jimbo Fisher, ironically, with his kind of more pro-style offense, A&M is kind of getting more <laughs> they're, – they're, they're, uh, they're excelling. I mean, they have their best well, – They just have more – they just season. have better play. They got a lot of good players yeah. now. I mean, that's just – Well, they had a lot of good players with Kevin Sumlin, but it, the development of those players wasn't happening under Kevin Sumlin and, and for whatever reason Jimbo Fisher is doing a good job of it and let's also not forget that they so, played yeah. they played literally the easiest SEC schedule you can possibly play in a season last year which is a big I, reason I, why they were you know what they were last so aside year. from Alabama it was pretty I mean yeah because I guess I mean LSU was down and they played Auburn. Florida at home yeah, they, they played Florida and Alabama oh yeah yeah they played Florida that the, the game where it looked like Kyle Field was essentially sold out and Florida was kind of complaining about it, which good on Kyle Field. I mean, you got to do what you got to do. I, it helped them. That certainly helped them. But anyways, uh, so yeah, the recruiting, that is the big reason, at least from my mind, why this is a, is a great move. And then what you said about 10 minutes ago or whatever, that this gives Oklahoma a chance to maximize the program. And I, I think you said it well. Uh, let's see, other... You know, and also, let's, let's just, talk about this. So I, I, I was, was, was going to say, at, just to... I mentioned, I was going to say, just to build on, on some of that stuff, um, a lot of, if you read any of the reports or something like that, it's like, you know, OU stands to make about $20 million more per year in the SEC. What, where does that money go? That money goes to hiring extra support staff. That's one of the inequities right now between the SEC and OU is that a lot of these SEC powers have massive support staffs. Extra $20 oh, yeah. million dollars a year, you can, you can afford a massive support staff. And that support staff has, has, touches recruiting a lot. You have a bigger recruiting budget now. You have a bigger budget for facility projects. This is, this is one of those things where um, I think it, it obviously, I, you know, the SEC is, is roundly going to accept OU in Texas because everyone's going to get a lot richer for it. From a competitive standpoint, I think there's definitely some middle-tier SEC teams um, that are going to be disappointed maybe 10, 20 years down the line that they gave OU these resources. And maybe college football as a whole is going to be upset that OU got these resources. I, I just think this is, you know, 
We've seen we've seen Alabama max out their program with Nick Saban. This is about as good I think as a college football program can ever get. Um, the the run that Alabama's on right now is the best ever. Saban's the best ever, um, and he's he's not going to be there forever. By the way, um, and I think like yeah, I, I don't it's know. not it's Maybe not likely. I'm not saying this is likely at all. OU ceiling is right there with Alabama. OU can do that too if they get the right person at the right time and. Uh, it's it's not likely that a lot of that's probably lightning in a bottle, but can I see in in ten years OU being the unquestioned dominant team of this conference? Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> like, it's not. Is it really that much of a stretch? Well, and well, no, it's not much of a stretch. I mean, and we can get into that. We have to talk about that at some point. Just the 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 thought process of Oklahoma and Texas joining this conference and where they rank immediately when they enter the conference as far as who's the best program whatnot and uh, there was one quote from uh, one of our one of our old pals that we'll, we'll get into a little bit later that he that was just hilarious from last week but I yeah that's a great point I mean the support staff like the analysts and stuff like that you never hear much about that from Oklahoma because maybe I don't think they have any I mean they don't really have like any. Bob D- like remember Bob Diaco was like the one kind of analyst guy that they brought in in 20 was that 2018 or something like that and- or 20 yeah, and remember like, Saban. Okay, what's what's he gonna do? Yeah. Saban yeah. has has like an entire office of estranged college yeah. football coaches that he brings in whenever they yeah. get fired, like every year. Yeah, yeah. I feel like if, if Oklahoma had something like that, we would know about it, and I don't think they do really. I, they, they have a couple of guys here and there. I so yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that, and and that's definitely a, a help for Alabama. There's no doubt about it. And that just all that extra, all those extra minds, and you know. I, Saban, the whole thing is that he, he rehabilitates coaches and, you know, it seems to work for the most part. What I was going to bring up, though, is, you know, another thing and, and it's kind of just to, to pile on or just add to more about recruiting and why the SEC and how Oklahoma can maximize its program. Obviously, you want to join the SEC because, like we said, it's the best conference in the country in the sense that year in and year out, more players from the SEC get drafted than any other conference. And I, I think I might have said it a little bit ago, but uh, 15 years in a row, 15 years in a row, more players from the SEC have been drafted than any other conference. And you go back to the draft this year in 2021, 65 SEC players were drafted, 12 in the first round. So more than a third of the first round was from the SEC. In second place this year was the Big Ten with 44. The Big 12 only had 22 players drafted in the entire NFL draft. So the SEC had, I mean, what is that, 66% more players? I mean, I guess I can just do actual numbers. They had 43 more players drafted than the Big 12. I mean, that is, that's a big deal. <laughs> like, that's why the SEC gets so much credibility. And so I went back and looked. I thought, okay, in the Lincoln-Riley era, how many Oklahoma players have been drafted total? And so obviously Riley took over in 2017. So the first draft was in 2018. So there's been four drafts. And during that time, 21 OU players have been drafted. So about an average of about four, or is that about five per year? Five, 10, 50? Yeah, but roughly about five per year. The most they had was in 2019 when OU had eight guys drafted, but in total 21. So I thought, okay, how does that compare to the SEC? Where, if Oklahoma was in the SEC, where would they be as far as number of guys drafted? Well, not surprisingly, <clears throat> Alabama's had the most players drafted since 2018, 41. I mean, that's, they've averaged 10 guys a year getting drafted. 
It's which is not surprising. We we knew Alabama would be the most. So it's it's a factory. Uh, Who would you guess was the this, this the team with the second most players drafted in the SEC? LSU. Yep, correct. Good call. Uh, their 31. entire 2019 team got drafted. Basically, their entire 2019 team. Yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't go year by year with them, but uh, LSU with 31 is second place. So both with with a lot more than OU. Then following that, not surprisingly, you got Georgia. They've had 29 players drafted. Florida, 25. And if Oklahoma was in the SEC, they would be right. They'd be behind Florida with 21. Uh, Auburn with 20. And with all these great recruiting classes that A&M has had since Kevin Sumlin, Jimbo Fisher, which I guess this is most, eh, it's end of Sumlin, kind of beginning of Fisher. In the last four years, A&M's only had 16 guys drafted. So OU still had more guys drafted than Texas A&M, even though A&M's had, for the last three years at least, a better recruiting class. Uh, and then you got, I mean, Mississippi State's had 16. Kentucky's had 13 guys drafted. And you go on in there, I mean, uh, South Carolina with 12, Ole Miss with 12, and then the rest of the, the teams have less than 10. But imagine Oklahoma now and his staff, uh, Lincoln Riley and his staff, coming into the SEC. They're already recruiting well of late. Like I've said before again on this podcast, one can only assume that they're going to get better at recruiting. And one can only assume when recruiting gets better and as long as player development continues to be like the way it has been the last handful of years, more and more guys are going to get drafted and Oklahoma is going to be – I mean, they're not going to be better than Alabama. That's not not right now. But they could be right behind them. They could be wrapped up, up there with LSU getting 25, 30 guys drafted in, in a four-year span. Why not? So I found that to be pretty interesting. I, yeah, I mean, as, as long as Saban is there, um, yeah, they're just they're they're not going to eclipse Alabama. That'd be sweet if they did, but it's not going to happen. Um, honestly, yeah, I mean, I, I've I've said it enough on this podcast. I think I think the last decade of college football, if people want to talk about problems, it's more of a Nick Saban problem than anything than anything else. Uh, but we can we can save that for another time. Um, gosh, Nick Saban has has moved just billions of dollars with his influence. My God. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, you're, you're right. You're right. This is all. And, and what happens? Let's say just like a throw a little hypothetical out there. Let's say in 2022, OU enters the SEC and they go 11 and one and they play in the SEC title game. Do you think kids in the SEC footprint may be a little interested, maybe a little more interested in going to OU? OU's got OU's a really yeah. hot brand right now. You go and if you follow recruiting at all, not a lot of recruits have anything negative to say about OU. They like their brand, but when they drift into a yeah but territory always the big 12 it's always yep always and you're saying that so it's obviously out there i mean just imagine what lincoln riley and alex grinch and brian odom and roy manning and calvin Tippett, like all the assistant coaches demarco murray like i'm like imagine like what they know about how the big 12 is being used against oklahoma when it comes to recruiting i mean they have to that's got to be a, a a huge thorn in their side that like I mean, just really a, know about, but yeah, just just a real world example. I mean, you, you can't tell me right now that if OU was in the if if OU was in the SEC, let's say, like if this news broke a couple years ago, Jace McClellan would be in the running back room right now. You can't tell me any different. Uh, and like th- yeah. this is not this is nothing new. Like OU is losing recruiting battles to Texas A and M and Alabama right now because of the conference that they're in. When you remove that chip, that's a huge domino to fall. I don't. I really. I really think people, especially the national media, are underrating that big time. And 
I, we're gonna see. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna see how it shakes out. I mean, sp- speaking of the national media underrating a specific part of this story, I'll uh, get into this. Then uh, my opening take, I talked about how I think that whenever Oklahoma enters the SEC, and we both are hoping it's 2020, 2022, you you say you, you think it's pretty much a done deal. Uh, I'm. I'm mostly with you, but I, I'm not 100% yet, but that's just mainly because of I'm trying to just kind of not get too wrapped up in the entire thing. But obviously, we both hope it's next year. So my, my contention is that when Oklahoma enters it, hopefully by next year, no matter what they are in preseason, no matter their recruiting class, no matter what, they're going to be looked at and, and feel like in that locker room underdogs because they're going to be the new guys in a conference that has – this billing as the top conference and has looked down upon the Big 12 for many, many years. And Oklahoma knows that. Their players are going to know that. Their coaches know that. And so I think it's kind of cool that for the first time in a long time that for an entire season, not just an individual game where obviously they enter against Alabama as a two-touchdown dog or they enter against Georgia as a, you know, whatever it was, five, four-point whatever dog, not – but for an entire season, feeling like they got a chip on their shoulders and they got something to prove. I feel like Oklahoma hasn't really had a true team like that in a long time. And I think when they enter the SEC because of the arrogance and the confidence of everybody in that conference, that's what's going to happen. And I hadn't heard anybody say that yet. And I understand that when you saw and heard my opening take that you were kind of in disagreement. But over time, you've kind of reconsidered that. Well, yeah, I mean, my first thought was, I mean, my first thought was, I mean, OU is coming in as in my in my eyes unquestionably the number two program in the SEC right when they step into the door um I'm, there's a lot of people in SEC country who would probably disagree with that they're wrong um, oh, 100% absolutely yeah but yeah i mean the, the more the more i listen to the media talk is when i is when i came around to your position and i think yeah the media is going to make them underdogs the only thing in this in this scenario uh where i think OU wouldn't enter the SEC as underdogs is if they if they win the national championship this year if they come into the SEC yeah. as national champs, then they'll be the top dog. People will be gunning for them, for sure. Um, yeah, that's true. But I don't know. I, and this is this is one of the things, like, if anybody who is listening to this, if you've seen anything different or if you listen to anything different, please, like, forward it to me, pass it my way. Have you heard any national media guy uh, talk about how this could, like, how this could unleash OU and they could become, like, a just like a, a, a massive power, like even more so than they are. I haven't heard one national person say that at all. I've heard all of them say uh, they're instantly in the group with Florida, Georgia, LSU, and, you know, and Auburn and stuff like that. And I can see why if you don't, you know, just kind of uh, overarching, just top down view of it, I can see why someone would jump to that conclusion, but it's lazy. It's really lazy. Um, and so I just, I think especially because, and right, because Alabama's been at the top the entire time, and they have, like Georgia, LSU, Auburn, and them, they kind of have sort of took t- taken turns being the number two team in the SEC, yep. or winning the SEC in LSU's case, and Auburn's case a handful of years ago. Um, so like, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're reacting to trends, and they're seeing that. What I would say to that is the reason why those teams are, are shift around so much is because they can't get the quarterback position right every single year. That's why. That's not a problem at OU. That will not be a problem at OU, as long as Lincoln Riley is there. Um, and, the, yeah, in the SEC, when you see teams have down years, it's because they're replacing a good quarterback. 
And that that's that's the part that I don't think people are are given are are are, are given enough value right now. Is that OU is going to have the quarterback position figured out. OU is going to come into that conference and I don't know what Alabama is going to look like this year with with Bryce Young and all of that. Um OU is going to come into that conference unquestionably as the best quarterback team in the conference. That instantly raises your profile. Instantly. I I just this is this is so exciting for me because OU is I, I I really do think of course OU is the second best football program college football program of all time behind Alabama in my opinion, um, and you know they're arguably they're definitely in the top four. You can you can argue between OU, Ohio State, and Notre Dame for that that second spot if you want. Um, but like OU has these resources now; they're going to have these resources for a for a program that is is, is historically dominant. And they've been kind of playing with the hand tied behind their back the last 15 years, the last 13 years, ever since Saban got to Alabama, because that's basically when it started. I, you know, this, yeah, is, no, I, this is real dangerous for the rest of college football. I'm throwing that out there right now. OU is a giant. And I, don't think, and, and I think the Big 12 at times has, has maybe kind of put sort of some sort of filter over people's eyes. And they don't realize that OU is a sleeping giant. They're not sleeping. They're, you know, but yeah, you know what yeah, I, mean. I Yes, I agree with you. And, and I'll be honest, I haven't I haven't searched out. I haven't listened to a whole lot of national thoughts on this anyway. So I, I wouldn't be the right person to ask if anybody said stuff because I just I've kind of been in my own head just kind of going through this and figuring it out on my own. And here and there, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll tune into something. But every time I tune into something, it's just stuff I already know and stuff I've already heard. Like, yeah, I, yep, okay, that's the same thing. So, no, I, I haven't heard much about that. Um, what was I going to get to? Um, okay, so but let's, the, the, the pushback, though, is going to be, uh, yes, you're correct. But here's the thing, though. Oklahoma's going to come in. They're going to uh, – will that, will that Lincoln-Riley offense, you know, will they be able to be as successful as they have been in the Big 12? Now they're going against the SEC, and they have a lot more pro – players they're going up against will they be able to move the ball as well will they be able to figure out defense will they be able to continue to get better and better on defense like they have in the last couple of years and that that'll be the pushback that's the pushback of like oh now you're coming to the sec you got to figure this stuff out and those are fair questions obviously i just know that when texas a&m and missouri came in they were able to adjust relatively quickly and then okay over time they've settled in and missouri is not oklahoma they're not going to get the same players so obviously they're not going to be able to compete at that level a&m is a lot closer to oklahoma than missouri is and they've they've been able to get the players they just haven't been able to really figure out the coach until now it looks like maybe jimbo fisher and they still haven't been able to really find out or get the quarterback figured out i mean kellen mond was good but he's I, I'm surprised he got drafted as high as he was. He's fine. He's like a mechanical whatever kind of guy. Nothing like a Kyler Murray, a Baker Mayfield, a Spencer Rattler, and then we hope a Caleb Williams coming in. So that is the, the kind of the two blueprints, and those schools have kind of done what you would expect them to do. Oklahoma, though, even though A&M's closer to Oklahoma than Missouri, Oklahoma and A&M aren't – I mean, it's, the, the gap is very wide, as we all know. It, it just is. And so I, th- that's where it goes into your argument, where you have some good points. It's like, nah, this, this could be what Oklahoma needs to unleash the program and consistent, consistently be the, the team that is competing with Alabama, whereas, like you, you mentioned a moment ago, which I thought was a good point, that the Auburns, the Georgias, the Floridas, 
uh, LSU's, they, they take turns. Like, they're not consistent. And, you know, the longest – so, yeah, that's – that's so that's what I'd say that that's the pushback though is like will Oklahoma be able to have the same success with their offense and can they figure out defense in the SEC yeah I think the more I think the most likely thing that happens is that Alabama as long as Saban is there is going to be in a, a tier all of you know all of their own but I think OU can carve out a, a second tier that they're just there by themselves and then Florida and Georgia and all of them are kind of below them I think that is that's realistic that's not crazy at all and so, like, I, I do want to kind of get to the national media side of this now, um, just because, you know, it's my, my my big critique of the last six days of the media, just in terms of analyzing OU and Texas going there, it's just been lazy. It's been really lazy. They they really have just kind of, they've, they've stuck to their priors and really haven't done much in there. And so I, I do want to bring up some examples because I don't want to, I don't want to just say the national media is a giant monolith and not bring up. Uh, examples. So I was listening to uh, Andy Staples, his podcast yesterday, and it was it was good. He had Ari Wasserman on, um, and uh, they were talking about a theme. And Stu Mandel has definitely delved into this. Dennis Dodd has definitely gotten into this last week. Um, Nicole Auerbach and Michael Felder and Chris Vanini had a podcast today where they got into this. And it seems like the theme um, when when the national media has been criticizing this move. They're they're doing it with a competitive lens. They're they're looking at it from a lot of them are kind of flummoxed. They don't understand why Oklahoma would give up, you know, a guaranteed buy in the playoffs every year in the Big Twelve to go to the SEC and just and just and then just be tossed into that second tier with Florida and Georgia, who is you know, who plays a game of musical chairs every year. It seems like that's kind of been the consensus. And I do like I I mean I, I got some things that I pulled from so today, uh Nicole Auerbach's podcast with Chris Vanini and Michael Felder. Um, Michael Felder thought, you know, outside of money, and he said this, I, I quoted it. He says, this is a terrible mistake for OU and Texas competitively. Um, and he, he doesn't really go into it more, but he talks about the, the one thing he goes into, he talked about recruiting Texas. He thinks that this makes it harder for OU to recruit Texas. And his logic was because he thinks now because of this, it will it'll make it easier for the established SEC schools to come in and recruit Texas. And that's just entirely backwards. He's just, that's just wrong. OU and Texas are going to put a what? wall around Texas. Alabama will come in and get some guys every now and then. OU and Texas are going to start well, Tex- getting well, the Texas SEC A&M. guys. Well, Texas no, I think, I think A&M is going to get a, bit of, a big hit. A big hit. Well, with, but potentially, but with Jimbo there, I mean, Jimbo's... That's a pretty big. I mean, still got he's got the national title. He'll be able to get some guys. Though, I know, how are you right? gonna how are you gonna get offensive guys when they're when they're playing a an offense that's twenty? You know, that's that's from the early two thousands. And you got Lincoln Riley, who is hey, come here and have explosive plays and have fun basketball on grass. I, I think that's gonna win out a, a majority of the time. So, um, I just yeah, I I just I I can't wrap my head my head around a couple of things here with the national media. One, all of them are perfectly willing to admit that this was a great move for Texas A&M and that they, they had immediate benefits. And I, and I ask, why doesn't that logic apply to Oklahoma? How would that logic not apply to Oklahoma? A, team, a, a program that already knows what they're doing is already way more advanced than, than Texas A&M. Even if you think right now as a program, right as it stands right now on August 27th, 2021, if you think OU is still on the same tier 
as Auburn, LSU, Florida, and Georgia. I think OU is, is, is a tick ahead of them right now. What makes you think that OU is not going to get a bump from going into the SEC? And if they're already on the level of those guys, why wouldn't they go up a tier above them? If you're perfectly yeah, willing to admit that Texas A&M got a big bump from this, why wouldn't an established program that knows what they're doing much more than Texas A&M, why wouldn't they get a bigger bump or just or a bump that's just that's equivalent? Also at the same time, um, and I haven't heard a lot of a lot of people in the national media really kind of poo-poo OU for this. I said it, you know, Texas really is taking all the bullets on this. OU really hasn't gotten a lot of negative coverage for like spurning the Big 12 except from Big 12 media, maybe, you know, people at those programs. Well, I just and from Oklahoma State. And in Oklahoma State, I just I it absolutely boggles my mind that for the last I don't know, 17 years, the national media has been all over OU. You're not the SEC. You don't play the SEC. You can't, you can't prepare to play these SEC teams in bowl games because the Big 12 is bad. And the moment that they change that and they take that pitch away from you, you don't acknowledge that? You don't acknowledge that the reason they're doing this is partly because of you guys? Because of the narrative that you have created and spun? Like, it absolutely drives me insane that people well, don't have the, the self-awareness to realize that. And, and just the, the thought that you don't think Oklahoma has considered this, and you know, the, the reports are that they've been in serious discussions for at least six months, but you can go back years and years. Obviously, Lincoln Riley and, and Oklahoma and Castiglio, and every, they, they know the SEC is the SEC, so they've thought about it, and they know that they're getting recruited against because of the SEC. You, national writer, national media pundit, you, you don't think that Oklahoma has considered this and they're making this move because they know it will benefit them? You think that they would just make this move, but, but actually it's going to hurt them? Of course they've considered If If it was going to be beneficial for Oklahoma to continue to play in the Big 12, they would not want to leave the Big 12. I mean, this is – and I, I get we're – like we all have our opinions and that's like – it's fine to, to do that, and yeah, some programs don't know what they're doing, and they make bad decisions, but Oklahoma football, like you mentioned a moment ago, they know what they're doing. They, they've done a lot of really good things ever since Bob Stoops got onto this, this campus, and obviously, historically, they've done a lot of really good things with the, you know, there's been a couple of down years here and there in the 90s or whatever, but this has been a, it's a traditional power. They are a blue blood program that knows what they are doing, and they have considered this, and they know that a move to the SEC is incredibly beneficial for on the field and off the field. So having a take other than that, you're just kind of trying a little bit too hard. You can make them, you can, but that's not a good thought that what you said a moment ago that somebody thought that this would hurt their recruiting in Texas. That doesn't make any sense. And oh, I got more. I, man, I got more quotes from that podcast. Um, and there, there was <laughs> there was like round agreement from the entire panel on, uh, panel on this, thinking that they think recruiting is going to be harder for OU. And I this is this is a direct quote because you're now competing with Bama and others more directly. And I'm just like, say as little as possible. And and how, how can you tell me that you don't know anything about college football recruiting or anything like that? They already are competing against them for recruits, and they're losing out on them because of the patch on their jersey. <laughs> yeah, it, that's that's mind-boggling. If if you have more, I'll uh, I'll I'll kind of slide in to some of the non-media, and because I wanted to talk about some of the comments that a couple of coaches made at SEC media days 
last week. And the big one is Jimbo Fisher because the news broke when A&M was going. And he said that, oh, I'm sure Texas and Oklahoma would love to be in the SEC. And then <clears throat> talking to Paul Feinbaum on Feinbaum's set, uh, he threw in a comment saying, hey, hey like he, was, he was laughing. He said, uh, be careful what you ask for when you jump into this league and kind of laughed about it. It's like, okay, yeah, okay, thanks, Jimbo. We get it. And then uh, so in, in addition to that, Missouri coach Eli Drinkwitz, I think this will be his second year because he was at App State, I believe. You know more about this stuff than I do probably. I, uh, but he had a, a lot more to say about it, and his, his quote was, well, like I tell all recruits all the time, we're the best league in college football. Everybody wants to play there, and now you've got two iconic brands that want to join. It's an exclusive club, and not everybody gets in, so good luck, especially if A&M has anything to do with it, end quote, which I found it to be pretty weird that he included the A&M part at the end, like, like A&M has some sort of sway over the entirety of the SEC. I Okay, I don't think that's true and clearly is not true because Oklahoma and Texas are going to get into the SEC and A&M has made it pretty clear they're not happy about it. But it's kind of like, a, yeah, I mean, it's two coaches. Like, they're laughing, hey, this is, this is the best conference. Yeah, we get it. We, you guys are the best conference. Uh, to me, like, there's head co- coaches talking about it that – it, it wasn't really disrespectful, but also it was kind of like, eh, yeah, we were the best. I guess if you want to join us, go, go ahead. Like, good luck with that. You know, like, yeah, okay, yeah, maybe Texas, good luck with that. Oklahoma's going to be just fine. That They're basically an SEC school in the Big 12. Like, do you think if, so, do you think if Ohio State left the Big 10 to go to the SEC, they would just magically stop being Ohio State? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, uh, you could say the same with Clemson. I mean, imagine I mean, if Clemson was in the SEC. I mean, they don't, they, they've been able to do all this stuff in the ACC, which has been worse than the Big 12 over the last handful of years. Uh, so, yeah, there's that. And I, if you have more media stuff you want to talk about, I, I do have the, the one comment from last week that just uh, – I, I got to give credit to Eddie. What, do you have something you want to say? No, I was just going to say, like, you um, – the Eli Drinkwitz comment uh, that you were talking about. I, you know, I'm not scared of Texas A&M. I'm not scared of coming in and playing Kentucky or Missouri or Mississippi State. That that doesn't or, or Vanderbilt Ole Miss or, or, or that Vanderbilt. Nah, or I'm, even I'm, like Auburn or Auburn. I'm not scared of Auburn. Like no, no, no. Of course, of course, South OU's Carolina. not scared of that. Yeah, it, that's why the big the, the SEC. Yeah, like the the quote unquote scary team. I mean, there's there's quote unquote more scary teams in the SEC than the Big Twelve. That's obvious you got Alabama Florida LSU and Georgia I mean those are the four and then like I said in the opening take Auburn and A&M are kind of like trading places of like yeah sometimes we're good sometimes we're just kind of average whatever uh, in the big 12 there's sometimes Oklahoma State sometimes TCU and for the last couple of years Iowa State's been good and other than that Oklahoma's kind of just slept walked through the big 12 and then with the exception of Kansas State who has <laughs> OU's number but I wanted to get to, I mentioned Eddie a moment ago, Eddie Radosevich. He, I, the reason I saw this is because he tweeted out a pretty funny video from our old pal Dennis Dodd, who, uh, you know, it, I'm, I'm still waiting for him to break the story of the first college football player to die from COVID. We're still waiting on that one. So I'm sure he's sitting on that story to break it here before the season starts. Uh, but uh, easily the, the stupidest comment that I heard from anybody last week uh, was from Dodd, and he was speaking on CBS Sports HQ, this was the day the story broke, so it was fresh in everybody's mind. So, you know, I, I get it. Like, 
you hear about the story and people want to have your opinion. And so, okay, this isn't scripted. It's off the cuff. And I'm going to give people a little bit of grace here and there whenever it's a brand new story. And like, you're just, you're, Hey, what do you think? So you're going to just say stuff and maybe you're going to say stuff that isn't right or maybe not the smartest thing. But in this particular situation, like this is a guy that's been covering college football for, I don't know, maybe longer than we've been alive, you and I. And his take was that if OU and Texas come to the SEC, Oklahoma would, quote, maybe be the fifth best program. Texas would be the sixth, end quote. And it's just, in what world is Oklahoma entering the SEC as the maybe fifth best program? What are you smoking, man? Like, how many years have you covered this this sport? Exhibit A of why the Big 12 is holding Oklahoma back. Because of perceptions like that. People just automatic... He just automatically jumps to that. He just thinks that's logical because the SEC is... They got a bunch of monsters at the top of the conference. So OU, coming from the Big 12, they can't compete for that. I can, I can assure you that that was his quick two-second logic there. Yeah. I mean, I, and, and I was texting you last week. The only school, aside from Alabama, that, that I would entertain like that maybe is above Oklahoma right now would be Georgia because recent head-to-head results in the, in the Rose Bowl had Georgia win that game, and, and they've made, you know, they made the national title game. And Georgia can't I, get okay, the quarterback I, position right, though, so I, they don't scare me until that happens. So, right, and, like, and, but my point is I, I, would, I would entertain that argument. I think there's an argument there, okay? But aside from Georgia, I, sorry, you're, you're not going to convince me that Florida or LSU uh, – I mean, I guess, I guess by my logic, LSU, because they just they stomped Oklahoma. But LSU, I mean, had a down season – that could have been a one in a, a crazy fluky kind of year where the, the stars aligned for LSU. Oh, 2019 was a fluke. Was absolutely a fluke for LSU. I've go listen to our previous podcast. I've gone over that numerous times. Yeah. That was yeah. that was the best example of lightning in a bottle that we've had in recent college football history. Maybe honestly since OU won the title in 2000. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, yeah. So I but I I guess I need to point out that logically if I said head-to-head results matter, Okay, Georgia, and then obviously LSU. But I, I think Georgia's been a lot more stable over the last five years than LSU has as far as competing for a national championship. But, uh, yeah, I just – and that, that's what – I mean, obviously Eddie posted that because it was funny. He, he reacted to it because it's just it's – it's not a good take. I mean, Oklahoma enters the SEC as the second-best program in the SEC. They just do. They have had more success, more continued success – than all these other teams, and I get it. They played in the Big Twelve, and that's that's the reasoning that you just brought up. Like that's the perception, and you know, and obviously we could be wrong about this, but we're pretty confident that this is why Oklahoma wants to make the move. They've thought about this, Lincoln Riley, Joe Castiglione, the entire coaching staff, and not just football, but all the other different conferences. But we obviously uh, sports, but obviously football, you know, is the main one. They know that this would be a big benefit to that school. And it's, there's no, there's really, to me, there's not really any downsides. I I know you're going to talk about maybe some of the downsides. Sure. You can talk about, yeah, maybe a a tougher schedule and they're going to maybe lose more games. So what? Everyone's going to lose more games in that conference now. Everyone will. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's what I had with, uh, with the media and, and the coaches. Did you have any more media stuff that you wanted to point out? Uh, no, I mean, I, I could, I could bring up. The, yeah, the Stu Mandel article from last Friday I thought was a little obnoxious, um, essentially saying that OU is following Texas. And um, I just I, I don't understand this logic. He thinks 
one of his arguments is that he thinks the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are much better fits for OU. And I just, like, I don't know where that comes from. I have no clue where that comes from. OU fits geographically and culturally with the SEC better than any conference. OU belongs in the SEC. They belong in the SEC a lot more than Missouri does. <laughs> this is silly. Uh, this just, is so silly. I just, I'm, I'm going to keep asking the question. How long have you been covering this sport, and how is that your take? It, it's, it's really fun for me, like, whenever we get older and we, we, you know, we're really interested in this stuff and we get it. And everyone's got an opinion. I understand. But there are some opinions that are just like, what? I, you've been doing this for this long, and you think that Oklahoma is more of a Pac-12 or a Big Ten school? That doesn't make any sense. Whatever so the I, SEC is, the, is the logical other conference. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and so I was saying, or I was going to say, uh, you know, he, he goes on basically to say he, he thinks the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are a better fit for OU, or the Big Ten especially is a, is, a, is a better fit because the payouts would be similar, and that's true. They'd be similar. They'd be more in the SEC, but they would be similar in the Big, 12, or in the Big Ten. They'd still get a massive boost from what they're getting right now. But he says the path to the CFP is just a lot easier. And I'm just saying, like, no one is making any decisions based on how easy it is to get to the college football playoff. OU's trying to win a national championship, and in this new shifting landscape of college football, they're trying to position themselves in the best way possible to achieve that. And this is being mindful of where the sport's going with the 12-team playoff. If they're trying to win national titles, this is a freaking no-brainer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, and that just reminds me of something I brought up to you off the air before we started. Uh, and I haven't heard anybody bring this up at all yet. And maybe this is just kind of obvious. And I, I'm just kind of behind. But you mentioned the easier path to the playoff, that argument. But then you also mentioned that this landscape is changing. And we already know that there's, there's on the table an idea of a 12-team playoff. If Oklahoma and Texas, we find out that 2022 is going to be their starter year in the SEC and it happens that fast is that an unofficial kind of sign that this new playoff this new expanded playoff is actually going to be here a lot quicker than we think it's going to be here because that could that probably also goes into OU's in Texas's idea of now this is why we want to go to the SEC because uh sure like more teams can make the playoff so we're not going to be concerned about losing a game or two here and there and see, you know, seeing as that ESPN is a is a massive, you know, variable and whether or not when the playoff happens, and ESPN is a major player in OU and Texas going to the SEC, like this is this is a little bit conspiratorial, but um, have you have you noticed that ESPN's reporting on this has been terrible? It they've been behind on everything. Yeah, it just they, they it's don't. It's because break they're involved. It's because they're involved. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, I mean, and, they, and I know, and like. Well, quickly to your point, I mean, ESPN and the SEC just signed a $300 million deal for, for TV rights to all SEC football games starting in 2024. So, so yeah, they're, they're obviously, and they've, with the SEC network, they're already in bed together anyways. Uh, it'd be, man, like 2024 sounds kind of lame for a playoff, but can they, Let's speed it up. <laughs> let's, let's let's speed it up. Let's let's get her quicker than that. Yeah. And so on just and I, I don't want to drop like the ESPN bomb there and just leave it. Not, you know, not talk about it. But um, I Chip Brown, uh, he's he's a Texas beat writer, um, had a he had a tweet today that I thought was really revealing. Extremely interesting. 
Um, it says, a source close to the situation said the buyout money for Texas and Oklahoma to leave the Big 12 before 2025 could come from the roughly $160 million UT is still owed by ESPN for the final 10 years of ESPN's 20-year $300 million contract with Texas for the Longhorn Network. Chip Brown, in a lot of words there, essentially said ESPN is paying to get OU and Texas out of the Big 12. Yeah, I mean, if that's true... Uh, then that, it would make sense why they're why they're keeping their mouth shut. Yeah, yeah, it, it would be, and it would also add to what you're saying that money is not an option or uh, money's not an issue with this. Like, hey, and guess sure who? Big 12, like, yeah. go ahead. And I was just say, yeah, hey, sure, Big Twelve. Like, you want to, like, oh, hey, if you want to leave, you got to pay us. All right, here you go. Here's the money. That's we rather pay you and get out of here than hang out in this league for another three seasons. I'm just going to say, I mean, it's not it's not a coincidence at all that, you know, ESPN is the is the network that televises the college football playoff. All right. This right. is yeah. ESPN is ESPN right now is playing chess while everyone's playing checkers, um, which is which is interesting. Alleged, allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. But I mean, this is I just kind of connect the dots. ESPN stands to benefit greatly from this. So. It's I I don't think it's it's straining credulity or oh god I can't say that word I don't think it's crazy to think that they are major players behind the scenes here. All right, so we've talked a lot about why this is a good thing. Do you want to talk about why you think this is a bad thing, or potentially why 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 potentially it's all it's all potentially things? And I mean these are arguments that you've heard from me before. Um, there are there are some traditions and some history that are being broken that I feel a little uncomfortable with. Um, OU in the Big 12 is all I've ever known my entire life. Um, they've played a lot of those teams every single year I've been. And so, like, it's familiar. And so it's going to be weird not being there anymore. And so when I said earlier that the other Big 12 schools have every right to be upset, I, I mean, I mean it. Because this really, really does put them in a tough spot. It does. That doesn't change the fact that OU is doing the right thing for them. But... It also doesn't change the fact that these eight schools are now in a really bad spot, and they're going they're going to stand to make a lot you know a lot less money as a, as a program, which is going to be harder for them to compete in major college football. With, you know when that's the case, so I can see why people are upset. I can see why Oklahoma State is upset. I get it. Um, in a lot of ways, OU kind of grants Oklahoma State relevance. I don't know if Oklahoma State can have the recent success they've had without OU. I think a lot of them are scared about that. Um, I would argue at this point they've probably built their football program up to enough to the point where they can probably stand on their own and still be the same as what they are right now. Um, but really at the same time, you know, I it's, what are you going to do? Like this is, oh, you can't say no to this. This is how they're going to maximize their football program. Um, and of course it hurts. Feelings are hurt. Emotions are really still high right now. Um but yeah, the, essentially, they've played Bedlam every single year for over 100 years. And that's, if, you know, if, if 2022 happens, they're not going to play Bedlam for the first time in over 100 years. And as someone who loves the history of college football, I, the, I love the pageantry, I love the rivalries, that does make me sad. It makes me sad. Um, and now, I think as OU fans, we all joke around that it's not much of a rivalry, because it's not. They don't really ever win. Oklahoma State, that is. Um... 
but it's still it's still fun. It's still fun to play, you know, the, the the state school that you share a state with every single year. And it's not like an Oklahoma State has been competitive the last 15 years. So the last 15 years, it's been a lot more fun. And so that's a game that I enjoy every single year. And I'm sad it's not going to happen anymore. But also at the same time, I'm excited that OU is going to play Texas A&M again. I'm excited they're going to play Missouri again. I know there's a lot of old timers who are probably really excited they're going to play Arkansas again. So I, you know, um, and and, and that, that's another one. Uh, Chris Vanini of the Athletic had a, had a uh, had a column yesterday that I thought was pretty thoughtful, um, and you know, it, it it definitely tugged on my heartstrings a little bit because he was talking about how much he loves the pageantry and that's what he loves about college football. And so, of course, we share a brain on that. Um, but and and I just. I think this is going to create so many cool pageantry sites. OU being in the SEC, who doesn't want to see OU in, you know, in Baton Rouge playing against LSU? That's going to be utterly yeah. gorgeous, beautiful, beautiful for college football. Um of course there's there are. There's there's some histories, there's some matchups that are dying. That's not unprecedented in the history of our sport. And I think people probably do need to kind of keep that in mind and there are new things that are there are new things that are going to pop up from this that will be good there's going to be new traditions and i just i you know um and i I, i've geez i've of course i've gone i've kind of veered into talking about a positive again um that argument that he's making I, i just i don't think that applies to oklahoma whatsoever because oklahoma i feel is making a move that is just going to maximize that and enhance all of that for their fans and i i want to go to tuscaloosa it doesn't get any more i don't think it gets any better than that i want to go to lsu i want to go to auburn how is how how is there not pageantry involved in that um and so i i I think um you know while one thing dies another thing is going to be born and so here i I need to go and look at my cons list um i i mean i i got kind of the normal (laughs) stuff there you know tougher schedule um, I the, the one you know, the the one that I kind of think is, you know, furthering the drive towards super conferences. Um, I don't think super conferences are are would be good for the sport. Um, I don't think the SEC now is a super conference. Even with this, uh, they have a bottom of the league that's just that's just not good enough for it to be a super conference. Like you know, defi- you know, definitionally, definitionally. Oh my God, I can't talk mm. today. Um. So that I'm a little I'm a little concerned about. I don't know if this sort of just kind of throws more fuel on the fire for that, and if it's just going to mean more change. I think you know I, I would really like it after this if we would just kind of sit. And of course, we're going to add the the new playoff and everything. It'd be nice if we just kind of sat pat for 15 or 20 years. I, I kind of hope that's what we do. Um, but you know we'll see. I, I, I'm not sure. We'll we'll see how everything shakes out. Uh, but the one that actually this is my biggest thing. Um, and it's as a competitor. There is part of this that does feel like joining the enemy. I do really, really enjoy everybody versus the SEC. And it's been fun being being part of that. And it sucks. It's been, we've, you know, OU's been on the wrong side of it a lot. Um, but it's still, it's still fun. And it was going to make it that much sweeter when they got over the top. And so that that's kind of the point. That That's where I'm a little just like, ah. Eh, I feel a little gross doing this because they are the enemy, um, and I think I think that's valuable in college football. I think that's what make that's what that's what makes college football fun. I'm sure as soon as they kick off in the SEC, I will forget 
all about that. Uh, but as as where we are right now, there is a small part of this that makes me feel a little gross, and, and that's the reason why. Yeah, as far as downsides for me, I don't, I don't really see any. I it's all good. I you, I mean, I'm the I guess yin. And, uh, this is a very yin and yang podcast when it comes to tradition. Traditional stuff, meh. I don't care. Uh, I I the next seasons what I care about. The next season after that. The next season after that. Uh, I'm not going to miss playing Texas Tech and Baylor and uh, West I won't Virginia miss that. And, and, I won't miss and, that. and Kansas. Uh, Bedlam not happening would be kind of weird. Uh, I I mean, it, I guess it's possible. We already saw with Texas and Texas A&M that a huge rivalry can just stop whenever they leave conferences because those teams haven't played since they left. So I guess in theory it could happen where they don't play Bedlam anymore. And if that happens, eh, it, again, I'll, I'll use the word weird. I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. So what? Uh, I, what I am super excited about, in, in addition to just the, the idea of Oklahoma maximizing their program, is one, one of my biggest complaints about college football is the conferences and how every single year, yeah, you might get a cool non-conference game and then you get like a couple scrubs and then oh, now we're going to play the same conference schedule you play every single year and you see the same exact teams over and over and over again. In the NFL, that didn't happen. You play your divisional teams, that's like six games. And then you get a smattering of the entirety of the NFL, and you, your schedule is different every single year. It never gets old. In college football, to me, it gets old. And so the idea of Oklahoma finally playing some new teams, I'm excited about that. I, I want to see all these different teams. different, and, and I think Oklahoma players will be even more excited about that as well because let's be honest, man. Oklahoma, they sleepwalk through a lot of these Big 12 games every single year, and they have to try – to get excited for for a lot of them because they are constantly being hunted. They are always having a, a target on their back. It's every single time a team plays Oklahoma, it's the other team's Super Bowl. And Oklahoma going to the SEC, yeah, there's going to be a, you know that a decent amount, but not as much. And it's going to be exciting for the first handful of years of like all these different teams. And the SEC is so big that every single year you're going to see a different team here and there. Because I know when I covered Texas A&M, people would always talk about how a&M plays Georgia like one time in a span of like 10 or 12 years. It's so weird, you know? So in the SEC, then you, you get random games against teams you don't see a whole lot. And obviously, you're going to get your Vanderbilt here and there that's going to be like playing Kansas in a way. But it's not going to happen every single year. And so I am excited about that, the, the, the change in schedule, that they get to play all these different schools. And for the fans, they get to go on these different road trips and see these different stadiums and whatnot. That's so cool to me in the addition of Oklahoma hopefully recruiting better and maximizing their program. So I just I do not see a whole lot of downside. And, and yeah, in theory, the schedule is going to be tougher. They're going to maybe lose more games. But what if they don't? What if they don't? What if they come in and, and it's still kind of similar? And they, what if they, know, they come they in and they're just and they're Oklahoma? And they're <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, man. Like Oklahoma is not Texas A&M and Missouri. Oklahoma is. A, a, a lot of cuts above those teams where it is possible that Oklahoma could come into this conference and consistently compete and win a bunch of games and be right, right below an Alabama consistently and not just trade places with Alabama, uh, with Florida and Georgia and LSU here and there trying to get to the promised land. It's possible. Uh, is it likely? I don't know if it's likely, but they are more suited, especially right now over the last few years to enter this conference and be immediately competitive 
and immediately compete for a national championship more so than some of these other schools that have been in this conference for a long, long time. And sure, that might be a crimson and cream colored glasses take, but I also think there's a lot, there's a lot of truth to it. So that's it. I, I, I just don't see a whole lot of downside to it. Uh, but I think a lot of things you pointed out are fair, and a lot of fans out there probably have similar thoughts to you. And so that's why I think it's cool that you and I can kind of go back and forth on this podcast with potentially different, uh, different thoughts when it comes to things like that. I am absolutely fired up for the fresh schedule, big time. Like, and this is oh, yeah. this is one of the things that, like, I, I don't know why this has stuck out in my head a, a lot, but how cool is it that OU is going to be able to go play like at South Carolina? When would you have ever yeah. seen that? Yeah, I mean, I guess, uh, yeah, yes, at South Carolina, uh, playing like it, playing at Mississippi State. I mean, yeah. I, I, I've heard Stark Starkville Vegas. is kind of a kind of a. I've heard Starkville is not the greatest city. I've never been there, but who cares? It's a college town. Like you see those games, like Mississippi State. Uh, you, everyone wants to go to to Ole Miss. Yeah, the Grove, and, and check out check out the Grove. You know, that's always supposed to be a great place to play. Go between uh, the then, hedges. I mean, they're they're going to play at Georgia. They're going to play at Florida. Yeah, that's and awesome. For these, and for these SEC schools, they're going to be excited to come play at Oklahoma. Oh yeah, you know, like that's not even. Yeah. How how sweet is it going to be the first time LSU comes to Norman? And I know that was already on the schedule yeah. as a non-conference, but that's going to be so awesome. That place is going to be rocking. Yeah. How awesome is it going to be when Georgia comes? Which was also, I think they were supposed to play Georgia at home next year, actually. So that's that's kind of interesting how that's going to work out. Um, but that's all going to be great. What Florida is going to come to Norman? Like it's going to be so cool. Texas A and M is yeah. going to come back to Norman. <laughs> like, I, I'm yeah, and that's yeah. that's the part of it I am absolutely pumped about the fresh schedule, um, and also with the 16 teams, the schedule is going to be pretty fresh every single year too. I really like the idea of rotating. Um, I I probably need a little bit more persuasion on the pod format. I, I'm not probably need a little bit more persuasion on that. But in terms of scheduling, I like I like the ideas of of being on the rotation of the schedules. That's a great idea. Yeah, I, I haven't looked too into too far into the schedule thing. That's to me, that's getting way out over our skis. That, that that'll figure itself out when we get there. Uh, so for whatever reason, that just hasn't interested me at all because uh, I just think SEC they'll figure it out. It'll be fine. Uh, I I do want to mention that we did get one. Uh, we actually got a lot of comments on the Facebook page about this podcast. Every, a lot of people were looking forward to our thoughts on it. So appreciate you all actually thinking like, oh, what 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 does Grant and Lee have to think about this? So uh, sorry for making you wait a little bit, but hopefully this podcast is, is giving you all the all that you hope for and what you wanted to hear. I bring it up though because uh, an, an old time listener of West of Everest commented for the first time in a while, Sydney, and uh, Sydney's been been listening to the show I think maybe since the beginning, uh, since we started it back in 2017, and uh, he had a, a long comment that I wanted to read, and he's got some questions for us. So I want to. We have about 10 minutes or so left before we got to get going. So I wanted to read this and then. Uh, we can we can comment on. So this is kind of a long message from Sydney, but since he's a, a longtime listener, I wanted to get it. Uh, I wanted to read it on the air. He says, "Hello, Grant and Lee. I haven't asked a question in a while, but that doesn't mean I stopped listening to the podcast. I just found it a little difficult to get excited about last season when there were weeks where we weren't sure if the game would be played or who would be out for contact tracing, etc." Right but there, I with you, man. You want right there with you. Glad uh, glad you said that. Glad I wasn't alone there. Mm -hmm. So this is uh, back to Sydney's comment. He says, I love the move to the SEC for a variety of reasons. The negative recruiting aspect of playing in the Big 12 will be a thing of the past. 
OU is in a position to compete right away. There will be so many games to look forward to, and this will certainly help with recruiting leading up to the move and after the move is made. More selfishly, I live in the heart of SEC country, so I will be able to get to a lot more away games. Now for my question. This is Sydney from the West of Evers Facebook page. Do you think this move is good for college football as a whole? I know there is a notion that this is ruining college football. Super conferences will be the new norm, and the NCAA will be made irrelevant. For us OU fans, this is great. We'll be going from hosting Baylor to hosting Alabama, taking road trips to Ames, Iowa, to taking road trips to Baton Rouge for a primetime game in Death Valley. Sterling Shepard said on another podcast that playing at Tennessee was one of the craziest and loudest atmospheres he's ever played in. This is about to be the typical road game for Oklahoma, and I cannot wait. And again, this is Sydney from the West of Evers Facebook page. He says, for the other Big 12 teams, they're probably feeling left out and in the cold. They don't know what conference they will be playing in next. Some of them might not even be considered Power 5 teams when the dust settles on all of this. I feel like as a fan of the team that will benefit from the move, I should feel bad for the teams that are being left behind. But no matter how hard I try, I just don't. Am I letting my excitement for OU being right in the middle of this historic change cloud my judgment on the impact this will have on those other teams? Or do you guys think the pros outweigh the cons in terms of the college football landscape? Uh, great stuff there from Sydney. Very well thought out and thoughtful and, and a good question. So I'll, I'll go back to the original question. He asked, do you think this move is good for college football as a whole? And uh, I, I got a lot of thoughts on I, this. Okay, well, I'll, I'll start because I haven't thought through much. My, my immediate reaction to it is, yes, it's good for college football as a whole because I want a lot of big changes in college football, and I do like the idea of big super conferences, mainly because I want to see, and, and also to go along with hopefully a bigger expanded playoff, because for me, I want to see more meaningful, fun, different games every single year. And it goes back to what I said a moment ago about the scheduling. To me, I, I get bored out of my mind, it, relatively bored because I love college football. I love football. But seeing the same Big 12 teams over and over and over and over again, I want to see different teams every single year. I want to get excited about going on different road trips, potentially, if you're a fan, watching different teams. And a, a more of an NFL-style schedule where you play a bunch of different divisions and conferences every single year. And I think this is maybe a, a small step towards something like that in college football. And, and I, I want to drive it home. A bigger playoff has to go along with that because then you don't punish teams for scheduling fun games. And if you have super conferences, then maybe you get teams that have not normally been in the same conferences that they're going to play each other in anyways in these new conferences. And so it's going to be fun and different for obviously right away, depending on, you know, who's in what, what conference, but if it gets to the point where teams can schedule other teams and they're not punished so much for losses, then we're going to get more and more fun, cool, exciting games to look forward to in college football. Whereas nowadays it's like you look forward to the opening weekend. Maybe there's some cool matchups, then you get maybe one or two cool matchups the next week while the other teams play cupcakes. And then you get into your conference schedule and you just, to me, you just you shrug your shoulders unless you're a Notre Dame fan because they play an independent schedule and they play all these other cool teams throughout the season. So I do think this is a, a good thing for college football. So I guess, yeah, to answer that question directly, I would say it depends. Um, depends, like, I, I, 
going back to just like because I put the super conferences as a con in there. I, I I think super conferences are objectively bad for college football. I do not think that would be good. I think you would change your opinion on that too. I don't think you want to watch five and four LSU versus seven and two Ohio State. I don't I don't think that I don't think anyone really wants to watch that game. Like in, like in a super conference, like with college football looking more like the pros. I don't. I think that would take a. I, I do think that would take a lot of the spirit away from college football. Um, yeah, okay. The the depends part of it. I would say if the eight remaining teams in the Big Twelve, if they are rendered essentially group of five teams because of this move, it is objectively bad for college football. Yes, um, it's not. It would not be a good thing if West Virginia is a group of five team. If Oklahoma State is a group of five team, that would be really bad for the sport uh it'd be bad for those programs as well those schools the people in that region um and we're not going to be able to get into this now but i have so many ideas for what the big 12 should do right now and of course there's a lot of dominoes that should fall um i think west virginia hinges big time on this if west virginia goes to the acc the big 12 is likely going to fold i think um there's i I guess here's here's my my very quick rundown of what the big 12 should do right now um, and this is assuming that the Pac-12 and the Big Ten don't want to expand with anybody, which reading kind of the tea leaves today, that sort of seems to be the consensus right now. That could change, of course. But if that's the case and those eight teams have to stay together, absolutely, the Big 12, they need to accept the new reality that they're just not going to make as much money as they used to and they need to rebuild their brand. And they need to rebuild their brand with good passionate college football programs that means going and getting BYU that means going and getting Houston and Boise State and Cincinnati uh, and UCF you rebrand your conference as a competitive innovative conference that's what you do you, you you try to make the most interesting X's and O's football games that you possibly can that is what you have to do and there, there's going to be some short-term pain monetary wise there but what else are you going to do you can't like that's not it's just not a feasible option if oklahoma state is rendered of having to go to the american athletic conference you can you can oklahoma state is maybe done as an athletic program like it's just not you have to i i i think this is the time for the big 12 to be forward thinking to be progressive and think how can we put the best product out on the field go get byu Go get Boise State, go get SMU, go get Houston, go get UCF. Good football programs that are up and coming in markets that have good players in them and fan bases that really, really care. Bring them in right now. Sure, I, and we disagree on this. I, you're mentioning some schools there. That I, I think geog- geography matters. I, I, Boise State's not going to come to the Big 12. That doesn't make any sense geographically. And if, if you're going to, I guess, if, if for, your, for your sake it, it doesn't matter that much, I think that's more of, a, more of an argument for super conferences then. Because if travel's not a big deal at all, then, heck, everybody can just be in just these giant conferences and who cares? But I, I, I think region matters. So, like, obviously Houston works. Uh, you know, I, I put, together, you know, put out a, a dumb tweet that I was kind of serious about the other day about a potential of teams to add to the Big 12. Uh, but that came with, you know, stuff that's not going to happen, like, I mean, Nebraska should leave the Big Ten. Nebraska should come to the Big 12. They're not going to. And obviously, A&M's not leaving the SEC. So the, the, the tweet's moot. But, like, SMU is a team. 
that is in Dallas that has history that could potentially be it's regionally makes sense. Uh, obviously Houston. And then I guess you go, I, I threw out Memphis because Memphis is kind of a sleep, could, could potentially be a sleeping giant as well in that era or era, that region of the country. Uh, that's kind of like an SEC country. And if they're at a, in a power five conference, who knows? And that's more, re, it makes more sense regionally. Uh, I just don't, I mean, BYU is out West. I, I mean, if they wanted to join a conference, wouldn't they join a conference that could give them more money than the Big 12 would be able to give them? That's, there's, so that's the thing. Like, that, there is no money. It's, that's not, there isn't. Like, the difference between, like, the value of, and this was in a really good Stu Mandel athletic article today, where he was talking to, like, industry experts, like, TV experts in terms of, like, valuing programs. The Big 12 without Oklahoma and Texas is, like, in terms of value, like the per the per season payouts for pro like for the programs compared to the AAC is only a difference of like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Oklahoma State as a value as a brand is exactly the same as UCF. And so that's why I'm saying accept the reality. Accept it. Get the best football you possibly can into that conference. You're not going to make as yeah, much but- money, period. Okay, so then why would a team like BYU want to go to the Big 12 whenever uh, I like I I guess I haven't. So they have a so they have a today. seat at the table. They have a seat at the table. Independence has okay. not worked out well for BYU at all. Sure, I, I I guess, and it sounds like you've read more things, and maybe there's there's more news out there today about other conferences wanting to expand. I I just I just assume that the this is going to make the Big Ten. They're going to want to expand. The Pac-12 is going to want to expand. Everybody's going to want to expand because they're going to have to to keep. I don't up. think the Big Ten the Big Ten doesn't need to expand. Even where they are right now, their hmm. their payouts per team hmm. are still going to be really similar to what the SEC is going to get with OU and Texas. The Big Ten doesn't need to expand, and like I can see why. Why would they? Kansas makes a lot of sense for the Big Ten. I mean, they took Rutgers and Maryland. I don't know why they wouldn't want to take Kansas. Um, no one else makes sense for the Big Ten. Like when. For the Big Ten, in those situations, like I, if the Big Ten is going to go to 16, I think that the, the schools that make the most sense for them are USC and Stanford. Like that's and that's well, again, where it, and like I would say like you're you're talking about region and and, and geography. Yeah. I would say you're living in the past, my man. You're not being forward thinking enough. That's geography just is not it shouldn't be in this new landscape well, then, of college it, football. If that is going to prevent your conference from doing what is, is what, what is in its best interest, then you're not forward thinking enough. You need to get the hell out of there. OK, that, I, I, I hope you're right. And I again, I, I think that's an argument for us seeing giant super conferences, because if if region doesn't matter, then I, yeah, they're going to. So anyways, yeah. OK, so we got it. We got to get going. Uh, we're. Hopefully we answered your question somewhat, Sydney, and uh, we really appreciate you chiming in on the West of Everest Facebook page. A lot more to talk about. We're actually uh, the plan is to be back next week, and we want to begin consistent weekly podcasts leading up to the college football season. So if anything changes, we'll let you know on the West of Everest Facebook page. So until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.